Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Envío al área, al remate. Ahí está el primer tanto del partido. No lo celebra, por supuesto. Sí, 0 a 1 para el Arsenal. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, I'm joined by James from Gunnerblog. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you. Uh, it's been an interesting start to the new Premier League season. Uh, there's obviously been football and goals and red cards, but a bird did a poo in Ashley Young's mouth. I mean, spectacular aim on display from that bird. Yeah. Quite quite the marksman. Damn busters kind of stuff. <laughs> I, um, I first came across that on a vine. Um, first time I saw it, I wasn't actually watching that match live. And I couldn't believe what I'd seen. Uh, it's just too perfect, isn't it? Yeah, it's incredible. And, and the weirdest thing about it, I haven't seen anything beyond the vine. No, but, but I there mean, seems to be, you know, there's when when something like that would happen, your immediate reaction is to you'd be in the middle of talking, then you'd be going blah, 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 like instantly, and he seems to just carry on. Yeah, do you think it, he's used to things pooing in his mouth? Maybe, maybe he's got some sort of arrangement with the bird. Mm. You know, you know how some players get sort of uh, bottles of water or, or Lucasade or <clears throat> whatever it is thrown on the pitch. Uh, he's got a bird who refreshes him every so often. From this on is just high. the first time it's been from on high. This is the first time it's been picked up. Wow, that could well be. That, yeah. yeah, I would say that. That's why he's so good. But of course, he's actually young, so it doesn't explain anything at all. No. Um, I mean, it, it's really a really amazing one. I'd love to see. I, yeah, I'm the same. I haven't seen footage beyond it sort of landing in his mouth and his curious acceptance of it. I've never <laughs> seen him. I've never seen the moment where it dawns on him that a bird has pooed in his mouth. But you know what, the other thing, apparently it's not actual bird poo, is it? It's bird wee. I, oh, really? Yeah. I'm pretty sure someone said that to me before. The birds is not actual poo. It's kind of their urine, you know. Really? Yeah, or is I'm it like, gonna, a, mi- look is it it like a mixture? Uh, what is bird poop, asks somebody on 10,000birds.com. Well, they'll know. What is bird poop? Uh, Bird poop, summarized, is the same thing as any other kind of poop. The final stage of digestion. Um, Yeah, the black part and a white part. Birds have two, have combined two digestive aspects. So, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, look, I I think probably (laughs) we should should, uh, leave this to one side because as interesting and all as it is. You know. mm, it is interesting. Was, it is. Were, were you going with that somewhere that the black and the white are distinct? They're separate things, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, it could be, but it'd take a little bit more reading. Um, okay. Yeah. We've not got time. Never mind. I mean, look, 
something for you all to do at home. A little bit of fun there. Yeah, all you need to do is go to 10,000birds.com forward slash what is bird poop. Or if you just put like what is bird poop into Google, uh, it will tell you everything. There's I'd love to a see. Picture of Ashley Young on this page now. Is that really? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great to see 10,000 birds poo on Ashley Young. All at the one That's time. Simultaneously. Like, I just imagine this idea that in the next Manchester United game, he's in the centre of the field, and then suddenly, all around the top of the stands, an army of birds appear, and they just stare at him, and he knows what's coming. Oh, my God. That, that would be actually quite scary. Yeah. You know. <laughs> for him. For well, hilarious yeah. for us. But even the idea of all those birds in one place, it kind of freaks me out. I'm not a fan of birds as it goes but look let's let's leave that to one side and talk about Arsenal and a win on the opening day of the season which puts us ahead of where we are uh, where we were this time last year very much so and I suppose it's it's going to be a massive cliche that people will have banded around across the weekend but really the results all that counts isn't it I mean the yeah. performance performance left plenty to be desired and um, we don't look ready I suppose would be the uh, the best way of putting it but we got the job done and you know you see Manchester United lost at home uh, I think Liverpool laboured a little bit so I think you know teams who've had players who've taken part in the World Cup will find it tougher in these early stages and the important thing is to get the points on the board and that's what we managed to do not unexpected the level of our performance though really was it because you, as well as having players at varying states of fitness and readiness you've also got three new guys uh, to settle into a team and that's difficult enough uh, at the best of times um, we'll go through them one by one I guess starting from the one about whom there's probably least discussion and that's Matthew Debushi, who just seemed to mm. slot in and do a, a pretty good job down the right hand side yeah, I, I kind of get the vibe that that's going to be the case for most of the season, really. I mean, he's a very consistent performer. He knows the Premier League. Uh, he's experienced. I think he's going to settle in with a minimum of fuss. And mm. given how important a player Bakary Sanya was for us and how kind of uh, given that there are other instabilities in the back four, I think that's a massive boost. And, you know, I think for a fullback to not really be noticed is no bad thing, is it? No, I, I tend to agree. I mean, he just got his head down, did his work, did it well enough. Um, I mean, I, I still think there are things that uh, the, our style of play, he probably has to get a little bit more used to, but that's, you know, that'll come. But it mm. was fairly no nonsense. Um, Alexis, some really nice touches, but some other, mm -hmm. uh, I think you made the point last week or maybe the week before where they were saying in Spain that sometimes... The, the passing and the decision making is a little bit suspect um, and I'm sure yeah. that will of course improve once he gets to know his teammates and understands them a bit and learns the language or, or you know the, the communication part of things works out um, but you know he, he looked a little bit off the pace I thought overall I think so yeah I think you know some of those slight weaknesses in his game were in evidence Um some of the decision making was a bit odd but as you've just said a lot of that surely has got to be to do with the fact that he's playing in a, a brand new team with yeah. players he, you know he's not used to interacting with he doesn't know the runs they make he doesn't know how they like to receive the ball he's also probably you know he's come with a big price tag and that probably has an impact as well I think there was a slight sense of almost of him trying too hard at times you know or, or trying things that were a little bit difficult um 
and perhaps that'll be something that he has to to, to deal with in, in the coming weeks but I still think there's an enormous amount of promise there um, and it's just too early to say really I mean I don't have any any long-term concerns about his viability, do you? No, not at all. Um, I think it is a matter of just settling in and, and the team finding its shape and its cohesion because um, it, it wasn't a great team performance um, for all the reasons that we've discussed. So it's very difficult for an individual to come in and make a, you know, a big impact when mm. the rest of the team, and particularly, I thought, when we got near the Palace final third, that was where our game fell down because Orla wasn't on his game. Uh, Ramsey wasn't, you know, as good as he can be. Wilshire, uh, you know, they all struggled um, to, to make an impact from an attacking point of view. So it's no surprise that Alexis also struggled. Um, how, um, how much do you think, just to sort of slightly segue slightly, how much do you think that might have had to do with the performance of the centre forward, the focal point, Yaya Sanogo? I, I thought he was poor. Mm. Um, and I thought, you know, if if the reason he was picked on Saturday was because he is fitter than Olivier Giroud at this moment in time because he's had a full preseason, then it was more disappointing to see him not really put in the kind of shift that we have at least become um, used to him doing. You know, he doesn't score, but at least he runs around a lot and works hard. Um, <laughs> and he seemed a bit lethargic. Um, I, I don't think he got great service, but I do think when the ball came to him, he didn't necessarily do enough with it. We were looking for him maybe to hold it up, and he was looking to lay it off first time most of the time. So, you know, I, I have concerns really about Sonogo. Arsene Wenger obviously sees something in him, doesn't he? He must see something in him that none of us can see right at this moment in time. And, and history has told us down the years that if the manager has that kind of faith in a player, there's usually something there, um, even if it might take a while to manifest itself. But I can't help thinking that him having a season on loan somewhere and us looking at another striking option wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Mm. I mean, you know, I, in pre-season, I think Arsene Wenger compared Sonogo to Adebayo. And I remember seeing Adebayo when he first came to Arsenal. There was a game at Portsmouth where he missed, I think it was like two open goals pretty much. And mm. I remember saying, you know, the first one you can excuse, excuse as a fluke. The second one uh, really makes you worry. But he went on to be, you know, a decent enough finisher and a decent enough centre-forward. And perhaps Wenger thinks Sonogo can follow a, a similar trajectory. But I do think that his performance in the Palace game was poor and was worrying. Um, however, in mitigation, if Sanchez eventually does start playing as a centre-forward, then Sonogo drops down to your third choice mm. and it becomes perhaps less of a, a pressing concern that he's quite as raw as he is. Mm. I, I, I agree with you that a loan spell would be no bad thing, especially if if Campbell stays in the squad, he can play through the middle. Um, I think regular football is what Sonogo needs and I don't think Arsenal's the place for him to get that at the present time. Yeah. But uh, there's a, a signing we haven't mentioned yet, isn't there? Indeed, He yeah. played at the weekend. Yeah, uh, you were impressed with Callum Chambers. I know I was really impressed. impressed. I mean, how do we do this then? Because, you know, we're talking about one game of the season and, and um, you've got to be a little bit cautious when you make it. I don't think we're making a judgment on him overall, but certainly on his performance against, uh, against mm. Palace. He doesn't look like a 19-year-old who's barely played 30 games of first-team professional football. 
No, no, and I'd say the same of his performance at, at Wembley in the Community Shield. And yeah, I mean, to be honest, it was the same when he was at Southampton when he stepped into their first team. He had a kind of preternatural calm on the ball, um, you know, a real natural assurance that is rare. Uh, I'm sure he will make mistakes as a young defender. I mean, that is kind of inevitable, and that's part of the learning process. But there is something about him, I don't know, a presence and a natural authority mm. uh, that's very, very, very promising. And I have to say, I'm absolutely fascinated to see where Arsene Wenger ends up using him because it feels a bit like he changes his mind all the time. <laughs> you know, he, he, he's kind of said, well, I, I see him as a defensive midfielder. And then the other day he said, I bought him as a right back. And, you know, now he's saying, well, I'm very encouraged by his performances at centre back. Um, be really intriguing to see as the season wears on uh, where he ends up predominantly playing. Yeah. Yeah, what do you I mean, think? You can see why he said he he could be a defensive midfielder because he does have that calmness on the ball, seems to tackle well, and and what's what's interesting for me, having only really seen him um, on television, obviously, uh, but he does seem to read the game very well. That mm. for a young defender, perhaps the easiest thing to do is get caught out of position. Um. But he he doesn't seem to do that, and there was one moment I think in the in the second half against Palace where they broke, and there was a guy uh, making a run from our right hand side, a, di- a diagonal run towards the box, and Chambers kind of tracked it and just stepped up just as the guy played the pass, intercepted it, uh, and moved it on. And that kind of thing is very hard to to coach, you know. If you've got that natural ability to read the game, like uh, someone like Mertesacker has. Um, you know, it's um, it's it's very very encouraging, very encouraging. So you know, we don't want to go overboard, but based on what we've seen so far, um, it looks like money well spent. I uh, there was one great moment against Palace. I can't remember exactly when it was. I think it was in the in the second half where. Chambers sort of stormed up the field to intercept the pass and the, the ball slightly ran away from him and he, he just slid in and sort of nicked it away from the defender, jumped to his feet, a guy came in, gave a little a shimmy and a sidestep and was yeah. away. And it was just a, a brilliant passage of play. Uh, impossible not to be impressed by that. There was and, were you uh, not like when he went sliding in going, oh, because he'd been booked. I remember yeah, very yeah, well yeah, when yeah, he was yeah. sliding in going... But maybe that's part of what, you know, what makes him good is that, that the timing of the challenge. I mean, it was very clean in the end. I was, he was absolutely steaming into it, so I was, I was equally worried, yeah. But it was, the, it was the way that, having made the tackle, he got to his feet and then produced a little bit of skill to beat his man yeah. um, that was just you know, top quality, really. And it's, it's clear that Arsene sees a, an enormous amount in him. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm delighted with that signing. I think it's going to be a great one for years to come. Mm. Now, based on the, the, the overall team performance, there was just something that I'd noticed over the last couple mm-hmm. of days in the wake of the Palace game, uh, particularly on Sky. Uh, Jamie and Jamie, the pea brain buffoons that they are, sort of went to town on Jack Wilshire. Um and I know we shouldn't pay too much attention to what they say simply because there are single-celled organisms that have greater insight into the game of football, but um, it seemed odd to me that they picked on Wilshire on Saturday. I don't think he played his best game ever, but then that was very true of many Arsenal players. 
Today, I've seen a piece on BT Sport about how someone's written a column about how um, Wilshire is Arsenal's most pressing problem or something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think everybody's quite accepting of the fact that this is a big season for Jack Wilshire, that he really does need to step it up. And uh, I'm sure nobody's more aware of that than, than Jack himself. But we've had one game in the season. Yeah. Uh, it's surely too soon to be talking about his form. How can you judge a player's form? You can judge a performance, if you like, or two performances, but that doesn't necessarily make form. It seems to me that the, the knives are out for Jack a bit, and it, it appears, well, it seems to me very unfair. I think so. I think he's going to come under an enormous amount of scrutiny this season. Um, I think that's partly because of you know some of the stories that emerged in the summer. I think it's probably got something to do with England's disappointing World Cup and, and Jack's limited contribution to that. You know, I think a lot of people thought that he'd be a key component of the England side this summer. And when it didn't turn out that way, inevitably the kind of tide of media opinion was going to swing somewhat. Um, I think obviously it's ridiculous to write anybody off after one game. Um, and I say that in the knowledge that I've absolutely slammed to no go today. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm allowed to, to be a in that respect. And I think Jack wasn't great. Um, but then an awful lot of our players weren't great. And, you know, the same excuses that apply to other players are equally applicable to him. I think you've got to wait at least, you know, a couple of months into the season before making a, a broader assessment on a player's form. But I think this is something he's going to face this year. Uh, and I don't think it will just be from outside the club. I think, you know, looking at the questions that are sent into us, some of the tweets I get, I think fans of the club are starting to demand more from Wilshire now, whether that's because they're being influenced by, you know, that media perception or, or not. And I think that, you know, th- those questions are going to be there on a, on a kind of weekly basis as they were for Aaron Ramsey for that period, you know, yeah. and, you know, we'll, we'll get tired of saying it, but let's, let's hope he can respond in a similar way. And let's hope it brings the best out of him. You know, I think when he returned from injury, there was such goodwill towards him that created quite a protective environment around Wilshire. That's evaporated somewhat now. Uh, and now he really has to deliver. And obviously one game is no measurement. Uh, but over the course of the season, he's going to have to start doing that if he wants to fend off these critics. Because as you've said, they, they do seem to have the knives out now. Hmm. All right. Well, look, we'll uh, we'll leave it to Jack to respond on the pitches. That's the only way he can really do it. Indeed. Uh, apart from maybe posting a snarky picture on Instagram or something like that. But uh, he's best <laughs> advised, I think, to do his talking on the pitch. Um, right. What we'll do is we'll take a short break. We'll be back with your questions right after this. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. Time now to answer some of the questions that you've been so kind to send to us on Twitter, uh, at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog. The first question comes from at Daryl Squires 1. And he wants to know, is Gibbs made of balsa wood? Ethnically brilliant. I think he means technically brilliant. Well, we'll see. (laughs) Um, but, But will these injuries curtail his career? Oh, I really hope make not. that one, but I mean, it's it's difficult to to avoid the the Gibbs injury thing, really. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a real shame because 
I think, as you've said on your blog, I think he's he's developing into an outstanding left back. Um, he really can do a bit of everything, can't he, mm. Gibbs? I mean, he's, he seems solid positionally. He's, he's good in the tackle. Uh, he's a good marker, but he's fantastic going forward as well. Amazing sprint, great energy. Really drives the team on at times, and uh, he's a vital component of the team. I, I, I do think he's superior to Nacho Monreal. We are blessed that we have two left-backs of that quality, though. Um, you'd have to say both are international quality, even though Gibbs doesn't really get the recognition at, at that level that he perhaps deserves. Um, I hope, I hope though, that he's moving past those injuries. I mean, I always take inspiration from, you know, Gal Clichy, who was incredibly injury-prone uh, in his younger years, and then moved past it. I mean, how old is, how old is Kieran Gibbs now? Uh, there is a good question. I, mean, I think 23, yeah. 24, maybe. 24, according to the, the Google search I've just done. Right. Um, I mean, this is the age where you would hope that those kinds of muscular problems would, would kind of ease out. You know, I'm thinking back to Clichy and he just seemed to be forever, forever absent. And then it, that kind of disappeared. And I hope the same can happen for Gibbs because... In every other respect, he's an absolutely superb left back. Um, I mean, how serious is the, is the problem that he picked up at the weekend? Do we know much about it yet? No, we don't know really anything about it yet, other than he has a problem. Seemed to be a hamstring from what we mm. can gather, but I uh, haven't seen any team news yet from, from Arsenal or, or any briefing by the manager. Um, so we, we don't know. We don't know. But it is a worry when a guy goes off 50 minutes into the first game of the season and if it is a hamstring it's three weeks and we're short enough as it is defensively um, but yeah I mean I think you're I think you're right that at 24 he needs to start putting these uh, these things behind him if possible because it will impact his career because there'll be an air of unreliability uh, unreliability to him no because if you can't if you can't depend on him to stay fit it's difficult to consider him, you know, as a first-choice player. Yeah, because a back four is all about consistency and stability. And you can't have a player as part of that unit whose availability is not guaranteed. Mm. It's it's too big a risk and it, you know, it, it creates an instability in the, in the structure. So... Gibbs, you know, I think Gibbs in the last year or so has, has played plenty of games, um, but it's these little niggles that he needs to work past. And hopefully, you know, Shad Forsyth's not been at the club too long, but this is the kind of situation that he presumably has been brought in to help deal with and help manage. Yeah. Um, so we'll see, obviously, how that plays out the course of the season. It, obviously, if it continues, it will have a detrimental effect, but I hope Gibbs is moving into a phase of his career where this is, is less of an issue although yeah. saying that a couple of days after he picked up a hamstring problem well he played 42 times last season so that was you know that's a good season that's very good yeah so uh, yeah hopefully hopefully this will be short term uh, and won't affect him in, in the long run okay right let's have another question quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I don't uh, this, this one comes from Michael Richmond, and his Twitter handle is at CCFUSA, which is quite complex and difficult to spell. <laughs> but he asks, which football player's mouth would you most like a bird to shit into and and why um yeah i think it would probably have to be john terry that was going to be my answer as well yeah. Yeah. and i think rather than a pigeon or a sparrow or a starling i'd like it to be an emu <laughs> <laughs> because emus, I think it's either emus or ostriches have this like this claw bit on their, you know, on their legs. So they oh, right. hold yeah, them yeah. down with one gigantic um, claw foot thing and then just unleash a torrent of, well, large bird poo, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I imagine I've never seen an, an ostrich defecate, but I imagine it's spectacular. That's, yeah. I've never seen an ostrich have a poo either. <laughs> but yeah, John Terry, I think, you know, that's something I would love to see happen. If that happens next week in the Premier League, there'll be a few vines of that, yeah. let me tell you. Yeah. All right, here. Let's, um, let me, let me ask you this one that comes from at Caleb Badrul. Okay. Uh, and a number of people have asked this question, uh, given stories over the weekend linking us with uh, Adrienne Rabiot. Is a, mm. I, I like to call him Adrian Robot. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm going to call him if he signs. Um, what are your thoughts on him as a potential signing? Oh, right. Okay. Well, I've only seen glimpses of him. Uh, what I do know about him is he's he's quite tall, six foot two, nineteen, uh, holding midfielder, left footed, can play left back, can play centre back at a push. Oh, there's there's a lot of boxes being ticked there based on what we spoke about last week, right? Yeah, indeed, indeed. I mean, you know, it's very limited in terms of experience at, at the back. I mean, he's predominantly a holding midfielder, but there's. You know, there's an obvious comparison with a kind of Emmanuel Petit there. He's kind of, he's strong, you know, he's got a good physique, good left foot, good passer. Um, he would fit the bill in certain respects. The one in which he really does not, I guess, is age and experience. You know, 19 years old, not a huge amount of first-team football under his belt. Um, I think particularly at the back, you know, we've got Chambers there, a player who's got plenty of promise, but mm. probably got mistakes to make. I feel like we would need someone with a bit a bit more experience. But in terms of the holding midfield area, it could be a possibility. I mean, you know that Arsene Wenger, given the choice between someone who's 30-plus and under 20, he'll always choose the under 20. He'll always choose the player with the potential and the, and the residual value. Yeah. And if he, thinks, if he thinks he can get a good deal for Rabiot now and he could develop into someone who could, you know, inherit the Arteta role... 
Wouldn't be a massive surprise, would it? I mean, it feels like a it feels like quite an Arsenal signing, doesn't it? Mm, it does, yeah. You know, particularly when you mention his versatility, and Arsene Wenger said, you know, we're looking for a player that can fill in a, a number of positions. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, interesting. Possible, yeah. possible one. I think he's in contractual dispute with PSG, which is why this has all risen its head, as it were. I think he's, he's not got long left on his deal, and he's indicated he won't sign a new one. And as we know, Arsene likes a bargain. He do- and he, so, knows uh, the, uh, he knows the PSG people quite well, doesn't he, Arsene? So. Yeah, yeah. That, that's one I think it's worth keeping an eye on. Right. Uh, although, if he did come in, I think you'd still need a centre-half as well. I think although he can offer a bit of cover there, I, I don't really think that's his, his primary role. So yeah. we'll see. We'll right. see. Another, have another question? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, this one comes from uh, Palerm 12 and he asks, conceded from set pieces against New York Red Bulls, Benfica, Monaco and Palace, plus no men on the posts on Saturday. Worried? Maybe a little bit because we were very good. I mean, it was a, a real weakness for years, wasn't it? Every time we got a mm-hmm. corner, you would, you know, you'd be very worried that we would find a way to to uh, to fuck it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but last season, and um, maybe the season before it started, we we improved considerably in those areas. Um, we looked a lot more assured from set pieces. The goalkeeper was dominant. We had the occasional lapse, but I think that's I think that's uh, par for the course. He can't be uh, flawless throughout the season, but we had been better, and it was noticeable. I was looking at the replays of the goal that Hangeland scored, and I was wondering where the hell is the man on the post? Mm. Um, and there is a, a school of thought that. You know, you you have the men marking spaces and you've got more men then to counter. But if we had had a man on the post, Hangerland's goal wouldn't have gone in. Yeah. Think back to the FA Cup final. Kieran Gibbs cleared off the line from an Alex Bruce header. Had he not been there, that was, you know, FA Cup final done and dusted. Let's not beat around the bush there. At 3-0 down, I'd say that would have been it. So it's unusual. Obviously, they've thought about it and they've been doing it... um, in training, and this is perhaps the way that we're going to go this season, and we might see, we might see the benefits of it. I'm not sure that you can really worry too much about the preseason games because of the personnel that that have been involved. Yeah, um, certainly against New York Red Bulls, I think it was Monreal and Isaac Hayden playing centre half, so that's not mm. that's not the issue there. Um. But yeah, I mean, I think another factor that people overlook is Olivier Giroud's defensive ability. Um, mm. I don't have the stats to hand, and maybe Opta can have them or somebody would have them. But he, he always seems to make quite a number of, of uh, good defensive clearances and good defensive headers, uh, particularly in that near post area where Hangeland scored from. Um, yeah. So yeah, it is a little bit of a worry, but I'm not going to start panicking yet. Um, we had the usual, um, the usual talk about zonal marking, didn't we? After the, after the goal, how zonal marking, you know, is a terrible, terrible thing. Mm. Um, but then, did we not score from a set piece where Fulham were man to man? 
So, you know, it's not it's not necessarily the system that's the problem. It's your execution of it. And I think with, with Murta Sakharad, you know, a, a player who really organizes the defense as well, new players in, people were pointing fingers at Alexis for, you know, um, because the, his zone, uh, Hangalang, came through there to, to score. So, yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, I think we can be a little bit concerned, but let's give it a few more games to see to see what happens. What do you think? I think the same. I, I'm a little bit uh, confused by the decision to take the men off the posts. I, I don't really know enough about it to understand why that would be. I mean, is it so that you can offer a greater threat on the counter attack immediately? Um, is it so? Is it something to do with I don't know pushing men further out? Because if you haven't got men on the line. People can't challenge your goalkeeper as much because they'd be offside. I don't know. Um, but I find that slightly alarming. As you say, if, if there is someone on the post, Hangerland's goal just doesn't go in. Mm. Um, but, you know, early days, as you say, we, we improved dramatically in this area last season. Let's hope, you know, that we've learned lessons from that and, and that we maintain that progress because you know they're important factors in games and they can decide games so it is a little bit alarming but too early a bit like Jack Wilshire's form I'd say yeah it's been one game so let's see how we go um, mm. obviously going into tomorrow night's game against uh, Besiktas okay here's one this is from Brian Toller at Envisage and he uh-huh. says Alexis and Walcott how often do you expect and rather than or in the match reviews I guess asking how how much are they going to play together? Well, I hope quite a lot. Um, Partly because that means they'll both be fit, which would be a a tremendous boost. I I think I do envisage them playing together quite a lot because it gives our creative players, the likes of Meza Ozil and Aaron Ramsey, so many options to have two runners like that bursting through exactly how they'll be deployed I don't know if it'll be Walcott on one flank Alexis on the other if perhaps Alexis will start playing more regularly through the middle Giroud dropping out Walcott keeping his position on the right flank the two could even alternate couldn't they I mean Mm. you know they could they could certainly swap Theo in his last game before his injury played as a central striker against Tottenham and it was probably his most convincing performance in the role to date. Uh, he might be looking for more opportunities in that position. So I think they will play together. I know that Arsen likes to have, you know, a, a bit of balance in his front three. He's always been loath to play Podolski and Walcott on both flanks. He likes to go for a kind of a more playmaker figure, doesn't he? Someone who's more, maybe perhaps less attacking inclined. At the moment it's Cazorla on the left, but sometimes it's Chamberlain. Someone who, I don't know, but is a little bit more steady, a little little bit less of a pure attacker. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he ever feels he can put Sanchez and Walcott on the wings, if that'll be a bit too cavalier for him. Mm. But I just think they're both, you know, one's a £35 million signing. He's going to play an awful lot of games. And Theo Walcott, in terms of his productivity, it, you know, you can't argue with his stats. He, he produces a lot of goals and a lot of assists. So you have to envisage he'll play too. So however he does it, I think Arsene will play them together. I mean, do, do you see them in the same eleven? Yeah, I can't see why not. I think a lot of it will just come down to form. Mm. Fitness and, and uh, maybe we just have that little bit more versi- versatility now when it comes to tailoring our 
team for specific opposition, if you know what I mean. So somebody like Giroud might work well against X team, but if you're playing against maybe Man City and you want to pull company and uh, Di Michelis all over the place, you play Walcott and Sanchez, um, you know, together. So, uh, yeah, I think they'll play plenty together. Um, and I think Oza will love it. That's why I think. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting prospects, certainly. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and let's have another one. Okay. Well, we haven't actually talked about this game much yet, but Stevie Boy 69, Stephen Dowling mm-hmm. is his name. He asks, team for Basitas away. Good question. Um, we haven't got the, the team news, have we really? Uh, no, I mean, while we've been doing this, I think it's come in that Koscielny has has trained. So that would be a significant boost. Okay, well, if he's training, that's a good sign. Whether he's going to play um, remains to be seen, I suppose, because they've got to be careful that if he is carrying an injury, they don't exacerbate it. But... Mm. Given that he doesn't want to bring Mertesacker back until the weekend anyway, you've got to think it'll be more or less the same team that started against Palace, except Monreal at left back. Do you think... I don't know bring, where... Go on. Do you think it'll change the centre forward? Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be Giroud. Yeah. Um, I think it probably should have been Giroud against Palace, to be perfectly honest. But... Um, Beyond that, I don't see him changing a great deal. Um, I don't know where Flamini is. He wasn't in the squad for the weekend. Mm. There's been no talk about him being injured or that he's picked up an injury of of any kind. So, um, yeah, I I would say the same team that played against Palace, apart from those couple of changes. Um, Yeah. Would you you think about Oxlade-Chamberlain at all? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I don't know where, though. Maybe for Cazorla. Mm. Um, could do Campbell for Cazorla as well, perhaps. I think I think Cazorla will play. I think I think if Oxford Chandler was going to come in, I, I, I guess it might be for Wilshire. But that would leave you... I don't know. It would be quite an attacking midfield for an away game. I think, you know, this is a match in which Arsenal got to be play it safe first and foremost you know we won 3-0 at Fenerbahce last year but I think looking as rusty as, as we do I'm not sure that's necessarily it's not going to be quite as easy this time around and I think yeah we probably need to, to be a little bit more a bit more careful and, and make sure we get to the second leg you know in a, in a strong strong position to go and win the game there yeah um, yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens at the back mm. uh, and how much he's prepared to risk yeah, okay. Well, that, that leads us nicely to this question, which comes from Ian Wright. Uh, I hate Wright, not the okay. uh, not the righty Wright. Um, and he says, we appear to be running out of defenders. So, Professor, mm-hmm. would you say it's time for everyone to panic? Ah. <laughs> I like the way someone um, sneezed in the background just at the end of that question. That did was, you catch that? That yeah. was a couple of rooms away. Yeah, they don't, it's a hell of a sneeze. Yeah. Um, is it time to panic? Not nearly, nearly. It is, do you know what? It is bizarre that in a summer in which we've done transfer business very efficiently, we have not dealt with this issue. It, it has, we've known about it since last season. We didn't really have enough centre-backs last season and we kind of got away with it. You know, we brought Chambers in 
but you know Arsene Wenger seems to have admitted in some respects that he wasn't brought in primarily as a centre-half he was brought in you know because he can play other positions as well and we're still desperately in need we've sold Vermaelen I, I don't know it's it's odd it's it's going on I think at fullback we're fine um but it's in the middle it's in the middle that I'm worried mm, sorry I've just been joined by the uh the arse blog German Shepherd who just barged his way in here now like that but um why do you think we haven't signed a centre half because like you say we knew Mertesacker was going to be back late as early as you know the, the start of July it looked like Germany were going pretty much the distance in the in the World Cup Cassiani we knew was going to be late back as well because France had a reasonably decent World Cup uh Vermaelen, we knew we were going to sell him and we also knew that after the World Cup he wasn't going to be able to play anyway. Why do you think that we haven't bought anyone? Because it's obvious we need somebody, and it's obvious uh, to us, it's obvious to everybody watching Arsenal, it's obvious to Arsene Wenger, I am sure. So what can we what can we glean from the fact that we haven't made the purchase yet? I mean, I can only think of two plausible explanations. The first is that we haven't found anyone. Uh, and the second is that we have found someone, but for some unspecified reason, we have to wait for them. Be it that their club won't let them go until we find, you know, a replacement. Be it that we're waiting to have Champions League football secured before we do the deal. Uh, be it that the negotiations are very protracted. I don't know. It, it is hard to explain. You know, when you see how quickly a deal like. I don't know, a deal like the Chambers deal, you know, it, it seemed to happen fairly fast. Uh, and yet we're still here waiting for for another defender. I'm sure it will happen. I, I think it absolutely has to, don't you? Yeah, it has to. We can't go into the, the season with, with, that, with that much of a deficiency in the squad. Because it really is a deficiency. Um, you know, as it stands, we've got three central defenders, one of whom is a 19-year-old who was signed as a right-back who the manager sees in the long term as a defensive midfielder. So, uh, yeah, it has to happen. But maybe that's what it is, is that the player that we want, we can't get or we have to wait for. And mm. that, that means that we're having to take this risk now um, in order to get the player that we really want. But at what point does does our need become so pressing that we have to maybe lower our sights or or do something that we don't necessarily want to do. Um, that's the, I mean, that's the balancing act, isn't it, for for a manager? I mean, I, think I, that, I can't believe that that there isn't something happening. You know, that that much I can't. I'm I'm sure there's something happening, but why it hasn't? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, that point comes in the last few days, the transfer window, doesn't it? And that's where you get the slightly panicked signings or slightly emergency signings. Someone like. Uh, Kim Chalstrom, you know, where you require someone almost almost just for the numbers. Um, and I think if we don't get anyone, we get into the last few days that uh, a similar signing could take place, you know, a loan signing or of a, a sort of journeyman centre-half. I don't think that's beyond the realms of possibility. Um, hopefully we find someone of a superior calibre to that and we get the deal done we want. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about this uh, Greek centre-back, is it, Manolas? Yeah. Um that seems to have some legs. I mean, that'll be an interesting one to watch. There's been some some chat about that. Um, 
so we'll, we'll find out. I mean, the, you know, the one reassuring thing is that the window closes <laughs> in the next couple of weeks. So all, all will be revealed soon enough. Soon enough. And hopefully, you know, we don't end up with no defenders in the meantime. That would be... That would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, although it does seem to be hurtling towards that. <laughs> <laughs> we're, losing, we're losing an average of one a game. So by the end yeah. of August, uh, it'll be Ignacio McCall. Who else? Could we play it, you know, in, in the back four, seeing as a Bellerin, Ignacio Mikel, Isaac Hayden, and... Uh, Chalstrom returned on the yeah, side, we'll bring him filling back. in as a centre-back, yeah. He can arrive on his BMX bike and, you know. <laughs> have you got one more question? I, ha- I didn't have one. Would you like one? Yeah, go on. Okay, this is going to be chosen fairly at random. Right. All right? Okay. So, brace yourselves. Um... Okay, it's from Jack Phillips. Right. Would you rather? Would you rather have? Right. I saw the start, and I thought I'll go for it. <laughs> would you rather have fingers as long as your legs, or legs as long as your fingers? <laughs> um, I think fingers as long as my legs. Right. Because you could you could do quite good stuff with that. It would could make you, it would, difficult, but it would, you know, you could do, you could make a living as a Freddy Krueger impersonator by attaching some blades to your, to your fingers. I mean, you'd be bloody good at the piano, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. You could probably play two pianos. Several pianos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would be good. Uh, but, but having legs as long as your fingers would mean that you'd never be able to play football. So I that Very would true. be that would be too much of a, a a sacrifice for me not to be able to play football. Also, think about how far you could throw the ball. You know, you could like roll the ball up to the tips of those fingers and then just fling it. You'd be like double the lap. That is true, actually. Yeah, fair point. I don't really. To be fair to Jack Phillips, I mean, you know, as I say, I picked this question for for fairly arbitrarily, but I don't know what would ever be good about having legs as long as your fingers I'm not sure that that is a great you know balance it would only be beneficial to you if you were buying the cloth for your pants by the yard and it you know it would really save you a few quid yeah yeah we're always doing the hard hitting questions here though aren't we we're dealing with the big issues of the day well yeah I I, I like to think we educate as well as (laughs) inform and stuff yeah, I think that might be stretching it. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, we'll keep our fingers crossed that the uh, the team can get the results they need this week. Obviously, Besiktas tomorrow night, trip to Everton on Saturday. Yeah, big week. Big week. So we'll uh, we'll catch up with you, of course, uh, on next week's Arscast Extra. The Arscast is here on Friday. So until then, have a good one. Cheers. Bye-bye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 